If you are joining us, maybe I've been with us for the past few weeks, we are in a series called Foundations. And we are in this series for a reason. One of the things that is vital for every follower of Jesus Christ is to know the foundations of not only our faith, but why the world is the way it is. Where destruction and death and disease and heartache and suffering, where does it all come from? Why do things, why is this world the way it is? And we see that in the beginning in Genesis. So we're looking at the first 11 chapters in Genesis. The last two weeks, we've been in Genesis 1 and 2. That's the only two chapters we get until the very last two chapters of the Bible where things are the way that God intended them to be. We see that God spoke and he created all that we see at the sound of his voice. And he created us, man and woman, and we are gloriously, wonderfully made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation can claim to be made in the image of God. We are unique, and that is beautiful, and that is glorious. And we saw last week that God made marriage. Marriage is a beautiful, wonderful, glorious thing. God put Adam in a garden, and he gave him three things. He gave him work to do. Realize this, work existed before the fall. God has made us to do work. And he gave Adam a will to obey. He said, Adam, you are free to eat of anything in this garden, but one thing don't do. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he gave him a woman to love. So God blessed Adam with those three things. And we see God um, made man out of the dust and made woman out of the side of Adam. Out of the side to come alongside him. Not out of the foot to be beneath. Not out of the head to be above. But to come alongside as God's glorious image is seen in both male and female. And we see today in Genesis chapter 3. What is probably the saddest chapter of all the Bible. Probably the most monumental chapter that you have in your Old Testament. It's a chapter that, that I won't be able to do uh, adequate justice to everything here. We could preach on this chapter for months. But I pray today that we'll understand what happened and that you, some of you know this and have heard this before, but yet you'll be listening thinking, how can I pass this on to my children so they know the reality of life? How can I pass this on to people I disciple and invest in? Because if you don't understand Genesis 3, the rest of your Bible and the need for a Savior doesn't really make sense. You see, our Old Testament, throughout it, it screams something is wrong. Things are not the way that they were intended to be. We need a Savior to come fix this. We need someone to come, come make things right. And while every verse of the Old Testament doesn't scream of Jesus, all the themes, the shadows, the types, the pictures, everything we see in the Old Testament points us to a need for a Savior. So today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the majority of the chapter, though there'll be portions I won't cover in depth, so we won't read those uh, for the sake of time. But if you would please stand for the reading of God's good word. This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The words will be on the screen, or you're welcome to turn in your Bible. Genesis 3. Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the, in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit in, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called and said to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Down in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Verse 20. And a man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Verse 24. And he drove out the man... At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does say that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, your word, stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in this chapter, we see where all the problems, both personal problems and problems with our world and our environment, problems in all these areas where they all came from, all that's wrong, all evil, all immorality, all decaying, all failure, all disappointment, all hate, all strife, all fighting, all lies, all deep disease, all injustice, all remorse, all discomfort, all fear, all sorrow, all pain, 
All of that came from Genesis chapter 3. This is the most important chapter, I believe, for us to understand. Why is our world the way it is? Why is there pain and sorrow and suffering? You see, between Genesis chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 20, we see a whole lot of pain, suffering, difficulty, challenges that all start right here in Genesis chapter 3. And look at how it begins in, in verse 3. The serpent, he's more crafty than any of the other animals God has made. The serpent, we're told, he has some, some form of beauty to him. He's not crawling on his belly at this point. That'll come when he's cursed. And the enemy, Satan, takes possession of the serpent and he comes and he speaks to the woman. Now, at some point, the fall of Satan has occurred. We don't know exactly when that occurred, but we know it occurs. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, they both speak of the fall of Satan. Revelation speaks of him taking a third of the angelic realm with him. And get this, in John chapter 8, verse 44, he is called the father of lies. And that's what he's going to approach, Satan, uh, approach Eve with. Listen. He said to the woman, and get this at this point, Eve is, hasn't been named. She's simply called the woman here. She'll be named at the end of the chapter. We'll see the importance of that. Did God actually say? That's where most of your self-imposed pain, difficulty, and suffer begins. Did God really say? Did God really say this? Can we trust God? The questioning of the Word of God is where Satan always starts. He wants you to wonder, can I trust the Word of God? Is it true? And in that, he's asking another question. Is God good? Can you trust God's Word and is God really, really good? And Satan says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He starts off. God said, you are free. You're free to eat. Look, look at the command God gave. This is in a chapter earlier, in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Look at what God said, and notice he gave this to the man. He did not give this to the woman. We don't know how the woman received the command, whether God spoke it a second time in her presence, or most likely the man received it, and the man gave it to the woman. We'll come to why that's important in a minute. The Lord God said to the man, You may surely, some translations say free, freely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. God, here's what he does. God says, you're free. I created this glorious, beautiful garden for you, and you are free to do anything you want in it. You can eat of anything. God always emphasizes freedom. He made you. He knows how he made you. And he's going to say, here's how you can best live. To live free. When my children were younger, where we lived was on a busy intersection. 
Three roads came together and cars drove quite fast around there, so I had to tell my children, do not go in the street. Do not go in the street, because if you go in the street and you get hit by a car, you're not going to be free to live the way that you were intended to live. You may face death if you go out in that street. So as a man seeking to be a good father, I said, don't go in the street. You're not old enough. You're not ready. And God says to the man, don't eat of that tree. Because when you do, you will not live how I intend for you to live. You know what Satan likes to do? Satan comes and says, I'll give you freedom. God, he's telling you not to do these things. He's putting restrictions in your life. I'll give you all the freedom you could ever want. But the freedom that the enemy offers is bondage and slavery to sin that will ruin your life. God made you. He knows you. And he is good and gracious. And any time God puts a parameter, a command in place for us as how to live, it is for our own good. So we live the way that he has instructed us to live. So here he comes and he says, don't eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Anything else you've got, you're free. And Satan comes and looks at the woman and says, did God really say? Did he really say that? And the woman begins to engage in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any tree in the garden. Um, any tree, hang on, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Satan approaches her. We're told in 1 Corinthians 11 that he is called the, he, he disguises himself as an angel of light. So know this, all the temptation that Satan throws at you, that the demonic realm will bring to you, that this world will throw at you, it's going to promise something it can't deliver. It's going to come packaged as a lie. It's going to come packaged as light. Hey, this is good. This is for your good. And that's what Satan is questioning here. Did God really say? So, um, few things that happen here he says she says that we shall not touch the tree did God say that did God say you couldn't touch the fruit no here's what the woman does and we don't know if it was her or if she got it from Adam but somewhere the word of God was added to that's something we still love to do this day people love to add to the word of God God said this, I'm going to add something to that. That's one of the great problems in Jesus' day. The religious leaders had so added to the word of God over the generations. There was a command in the Old Testament, don't reap or harvest on the Sabbath. That's a Mosaic command given by God. The, the, the Jewish people were not to reap or harvest on the Sabbath. But what if you walk across the grass on the Sabbath and there happens to be a grain of wheat there on the grass, and your cloak hits it, and it separates it. Well, they said that's reaping and harvesting on the Sabbath, so therefore, we're going to add to God's Word. You can't walk on the grass on the Sabbath. We love to add to God's Word. That's something we always do, and that's what Eve does, or the man does. It gets added to. Hey, don't, it's not only that you can't eat it, you can't even touch it. Adding to the Word of God. No, we don't add to God's Word 
We trust God's word. We're faithful to God's word. It is sufficient. And then she does this. This is a little harder to see. She says, lest you die. In the English, it's translated as surely die. But get this. In the Hebrew, it's an emphatic death. When you eat of that tree, God said, you are dead. Man, you're going to fall to the ground. You're going to be dead spiritually, dead emotionally, dead physically. Everything about you is dead. And Eve, when she says it, she doesn't say it as emphatically. She lessens the punishment of God. That's something that we always love to do. God wouldn't judge. God's not going to be that harsh. And when we lessen the judgment of God, which again, that's harsh. People don't like to talk about the judgment of the God, but the Bible does. When we do that, there's a couple things that are going on. First, we have a wrong view of God. God is holy. He is righteous. He's above all, and His holiness cannot be in the presence of sin. And secondly, we look at our sin and we go, my sin's not that bad. Other people have committed much worse sins than I am. My, my sin is, is, is not that bad, so God's not going to judge me. My, my friend who doesn't know the Lord, uh, they're not so bad. God surely wouldn't judge them, but we misunderstand God's holiness. We misunderstand the depth of sin. This world always wants to lessen the judgment of God. That God is not going to judge. We don't like to talk about it. It's not comfortable. But this is what Scripture teaches. And here's the issue for you and I. Are we going to be like Adam and Eve? Are we going to trust the Word of God? Or are we going to be like them and trust the, world, the Word of the enemy? The message of this world. Listen to what the enemy says here. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He comes right out. God's not going to do anything. He's not really going to punish you. He's not really going to do that. And then in verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to what Satan does. He's the father of lies. He parades around as an angel of light. He calls what God says is good. He calls it bad. What is sin? He says sin is good. He reverses everything and he speaks in half-truths. What he loves to do is take something that's true, but not all the way true. You and I can often figure out when something is a complete lie. But what about when it's got some truth mixed into it? And that's what he does. He says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to know good from evil. That is true, but it's a half-truth. You see, Adam and Eve are about to know good and evil. They're going to experience evil. They're going to experience sin. They're going to see it. But they'll do it very differently from God. What's the difference between a cancer doctor and someone who has cancer? They both know cancer. The cancer doctor has studied cancer. He's researched cancer. He knows more than 99.9% .9 of people on earth about cancer. He knows cancer. But the cancer patient also knows cancer. 
they feel the cancer ravage their body. They feel the implications of cancer in their being, very being. So the way that the cancer doctor and the way that the cancer patient know cancer is very different. God knows evil. God knows good and evil. And hey, Adam and Eve, if you eat of this, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know good and evil like God. But no, it's not going to be like God. God knows evil like that cancer doctor. You're about to know evil like that cancer patient. It's going to ravage your body. It's going to seek to take over your life. It's going to be in the very fabric of your flesh. You are going to feel it, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to ache and groan. So Satan hits them with a half-truth. This isn't fully true. And in verse 6, get this. Here's the temptation that Eve falls into. Scripture says that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. I used to wonder, how has Jesus been tempted in every way? Well, here we're going to see Eve be tempted in every way. Look at what it says. She saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. For all that is in the world, all that is in this fallen, broken world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. These three things are not from God, they're from the world. And every sin you and I commit fall into one of these three categories, maybe all three. You see something. It looks good. Your eyes crave it. You go, I want that. My eyes crave it. Your flesh desires it. I, I desire to consume that. I desire to have that. My flesh feels it and I want it. Or the pride of life. It's going to bring me glory. It's going to make me look good. It's going to bring something I want. All our sin falls into those categories. We're going to see that Jesus... We'll see this in a couple months when we're in Matthew. Jesus was tempted in every way. All three of these ways, Jesus was tempted. And in all three of these ways, Adam and Eve fell. She looked at the food and it looked good. It looked good. Her flesh craved it. She wanted to eat it. And she thought it would make her wise. That it would deliver what it was unable to truly deliver. But look at this, look at the end part of this in verse 6. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam is right there with Eve. Eve is talking to this serpent, interacting with the serpent. And what's Adam doing? He's doing the very thing that men still struggle with to this day. Being passive in the most important things in this world. Adam should have said, Eve, she's called the woman at this point, but she just said, that serpent is lying. Don't listen. I'm going to kill that serpent. I'm going to get rid of that serpent. He should have done something and said, he just sits there and watches. And men, let me tell you, enemy wants you to go passive on the things of eternal importance. Men, the enemy wants you to be passive as to spiritual matters. 
The enemy wants you to be passive on raising your children in the Lord. The enemy wants you to be passive on gently, kindly, graciously leading your wife in Jesus Christ. He wants you to forget about those things. He wants you to go be aggressive on things that don't matter. He wants you pouring more of your good energies into the place that you work than into your family. That's what the enemy wants. Now, work is a good thing, but the primary calling is the home. Enemy loves for men to go passive. It's what he loves. Men, don't do that. Don't believe that lie. God has called you to a glorious high calling, to eternal things. We invest in what's eternal, the Word of God. We invest in what's eternal, the souls of people. And God has called you to lead in here. The man just stands there and watches. He's with her, but he doesn't stop it. The command we know was given to him. It says when this happens in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Up until this point, they didn't realize that they were naked. They didn't know they needed to be covered. That, that wasn't a category that they had. They had just fully known. Adam fully knew Eve. Eve fully knew Adam. They knew each other emotionally. They knew each other spiritually. They had been together the entire time. And now there is separation between man and woman. Adam and Eve, we got to hide from each other. We got to hide something from each other. And they cover themselves, get this, with their fig leaves. That's their own works. Sin always makes you feel exposed and you always hide sin. Here's what I know about many I fear to say it, about the majority of people here today, this is our nature. Many of you have sin that is hidden. You're hiding it. You're hiding that sin thinking, nobody will know. They'll think I'm showing up at church. I'm saying the right things. I'm doing the right things. Nobody knows about this sin. Oh, but God knows. God knows about that sin, and that sin separates you. See, marriage becomes hard because of the fall. And if you are struggling in your marriage, a couple things you need to know. There's some sin involved. You're not going to struggle without sin being there. And what you want to do is look at your spouse and go, that's your sin. You need to be more selfless. In your marriage, the number one problem is you. Don't look at your spouse and go, you're the problem. I'm the problem. I, I'm the one who's the problem. I, I'm, I've got to be more selfless. I've got to die like Christ for my wife. And for me to call her to do that doesn't go real well. She's going to be accountable before God to what Scripture calls her to. I'm going to be accountable before God what Scripture calls me to. And Scripture calls me to die for my wife, to lead her humbly and gently and patiently, to be gracious. That's what Scripture calls us to. And the enemy loves to mess up marriages. 
The first thing he comes to mess up is Adam and Eve's marriage. He wants to get into the home and get things sideways and twist them up. He loves doing that, and that's what he comes in to do here. And they sow fig leaves on themselves to cover themselves from one another. They hear in verse 8 the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the garden. And guess what they do? This is a sad, again, sad, sad story, sad, sad verse. They hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They hide from God because of their sin. Sin will always lead you to hide from God. Many here are not tasting the joy of the Lord, are not experienced anywhere near the fullness of God. You don't even know that you're not really in the presence of God very often because sin has so deceived you and hardened you. Sin causes you to hide from God. And until you come to God and say, God, I've sinned, can that relationship be restored? There is no better place to be than in the presence of God Almighty. So what do you think the enemy wants to do? He wants to keep you from the presence of God. He wants to keep you from the people of God. He wants to keep you from the very things that you need most. So they hide from God. And in verse 9, God asks the very first question of the Bible, one of the most important questions of the Bible. Where are you? Now he's talking physically. Adam, Eve, where are you physically? But he's talking more than that. God knows right where they are. You can't hide from God. God is talking about something much greater. He's saying, Adam, Eve. And he's addressing in particular the man here. He says, the man, the man's who he gave the command to. He says, where are you? Where are you spiritually? Where are you emotionally? What's going on in your mind? Where are you? That same question could be asked of us today, here today. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you greatly desire His presence? Is the presence of God sweetness to you? You say, God, I'd love to be in your presence. When you see sin in your life, do you mourn it and grieve it because you know it separates you from being in the presence of God? Where are you? First question God asked, he still asks us that today. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Fear has come in. Sin has brought fear. Sin has brought hiding. Sin has brought exposure. And God asked him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat of? At this point, there was only one thing that could be sin. God said, don't eat of that tree. Anything else is permissible. He ate of the tree. Listen to what the man says. Verse 12. The woman whom you, God, gave to me to be with me, She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. What does Adam do? God is the woman whom you gave to me. Adam blames God. God, this is your fault. Why have I sinned? Why am I hiding? Because you gave me her and I did that. 
passing the blame. It's what we love to do in our sin. We love to minimize our sin. Not take ownership of our sin. It's somebody else's fault. Somebody else hurt me. Somebody else did me wrong. Somebody else did And those things may be true. But at the end of the day, we stand before God on our own merits, on our own sin, and what we've done. And God says, you've done it. Adam passes the blame here. Somebody else's fault. You ever do that with your sin? Well, I wouldn't have done it if such and such, if so and so, if this situation, this person, this thing. He blames. That's what the enemy always wants us to do. To blame, to minimize. Verse 13, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Very simple, yet very accurate answer. I was deceived. Here's the thing about deception. If you're being deceived right now, you do not know you're being deceived right now because that's the definition of deception. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. That's what deception means. So her eyes have been opened and she looks and goes, I was deceived. I was. And then I ate. She doesn't blame. She doesn't say it's your fault, God. It's that person you gave to me. The greatest gift that God has given Adam is a wife, so a companion, someone to be with. And he blames God. He blames the woman. That's what we often like to do. You know, this can happen with both men and women. When we become so enamored, so infatuated with a woman or a man, we can look past a lot of things and put them above God. Wives, Single women in this room. Most important thing about a man is that he should put Jesus Christ above you. Scripture makes it very clear. Christians marry Christians. You don't marry someone who doesn't know Jesus. Okay? They don't know Jesus. You don't go do what we call evangelism dating single women, single men. Oh, he's not a Christian, but I'll turn him into one. It's not what we're called to. No. And men, you don't so become enamored with a woman that you go, you know, no matter what, I'll give up what God calls me to. I'll forget that because I'm so in love with her. Men and women, husbands and wives, singles, our love for Jesus must be above our love for any other person. And to our single people, when you're thinking, is that the guy, is that the gal? Do they love Jesus more than you? Is Jesus more important to them than you? That's the most important thing in their life. And here, Adam and Eve, fall occurs. And then God gives what we call a seven-fold curse. That's what I've heard it called in some of the things I've read. He curses the serpent. He curses the animals. He curses man's nature. He curses the coming Messiah. He curses the woman. He curses the ground. He curses all creation. He curses man. Everything is cursed. You want me to tell you how glorious God is? In the midst of cursing everything that we've ever seen, God gives a glimmer of hope in 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. 
He will bruise, some translations say crush your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is called the first giving of the gospel. In the midst of a curse, God says, that woman, a child is going to come from her. A singular male child will come from her who will make things right. That's what he's waiting on. This promise in the midst of a curse. And Adam trusts this. Look at what verse 20 says. The man called his wife's name Eve. She had not been named, but he calls her Eve. Do you know what Eve means? Life. He looks and he goes, life's coming from her. She's going to give birth to a child, and from that child will come life. He trusts the promise of God. We see an act of faith. He's trusting the word of God. At the beginning, are they going to trust God's word or not? Now God has spoken this curse and he's trusting God's very word. In verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve put on their own fig leaves. It's like when you try to cover up your sin with works, with church attendance, with religious practices. A lot of those things are very good. They cannot save. No, God doesn't accept their fig leaves. God himself, God takes the initiative. God kills an animal. God takes the glory of that animal and strips the animal of his glory and covers Adam and Eve with the glory of the animal. God does it. God kills the animal. And what we learn here is one of the most powerful pictures of all the scripture, one of the most powerful truths and realities about how God has created and organized things. Your sin deserves death. Adam and Eve deserve to die. But they're not going to die this day. God will allow Adam and Eve to live. How's he going to do that? I'm killing that animal in your place. And you get to wear the bloody glory of that animal. You're covered in the bloody carcass of that animal, its bloody glory. And God himself does that. In Jesus Christ, God comes to earth, takes on flesh, on the cross, the cancer doctor receives all the cancer the world has ever known, on the cross, Jesus Christ, sinless, takes all the sin of the world upon him. He endures the very wrath of God so that all who believe will not have to endure the wrath of God. He takes the punishment. He is our perfect substitute. This animal here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 is an imperfect substitute. They're going to keep killing animals throughout the Old Testament. And just like that animal was stripped of his glory... Jesus takes his glory and he covers us in his blood. We're covered by the glorious blood of Jesus Christ. And God sees us as sinless as Jesus because his blood was sinless. That's what we're clothed in. That's the gospel message. That's the good news of the gospel. You see, all the Old Testament has these shadows and types pointing us forward to Jesus. We need a Savior. And that's what we're reminded of here. A Savior's coming. 
Good news, the Savior's coming. We sang earlier, it is well with my soul. There's only one way you can sing that song. You can only sing that song if you recognize it's not well with your soul. That you're in trouble. That you have sinned and you have no hope outside of Jesus Christ and you trust in His finished work. Then you can say it's well because of Jesus. It's well with my soul. So I ask you, as we sang that song, were you singing a truth about yourself? It's well with my soul because of Jesus. Or were you singing something that's not true of yourself, that it's not well? I know here today there are some who it's not well with their soul. You may think you're doing okay, but you have not confessed your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. And I call you, I implore you by the word of God to place your faith in Jesus. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge him as the perfect substitute to make you right with God, that his blood will cover you sufficiently. Well, God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden in an act of mercy because there's a tree of life there and if they eat of that tree of life, they will live forever in their sin. And God banishes them. Kicks them out. God has made a way for us not to have to live in our sin. He's made one way. And that way is His Son, Jesus. Church, I pray we walk in the reality of that. I pray we live in that good truth. And I pray as we go that we declare to this broken world, hey, I know it's wrong. It's called sin. And I know the solution. It's our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is good. It is true. And God, we are those who are without hope. Lord, we can't, we don't have enough fig leaves. We can't cover our sin with good works, with religious practices. We can't cover our sin because we were born into a particular family, because we're from a particular nation, because we're from a particular religious background. None of that is enough. The only way our sin can be forgiven is for the perfect substitute, Jesus Christ, to forgive us. And the Lord, the way that we receive that forgiveness, the way that we receive that free gift from Jesus is an act of faith in trusting Jesus. So Lord, for those here today who haven't trusted you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for those of you here who have trusted you, I pray that you would open our eyes to the sin that still entangles us and keeps us from dwelling in your presence like you desire. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.